Now today we will finish up the second chapter of the Philippians. And let me read this section, but do pay attention so that you know what is going on in the context. He wanted to send Timothy, but he said, not yet. And he wants to send back Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. And you could read about it today in verse 25 and following. But I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, literally the sent one, the apostle. But obviously he's not an apostle. But the word is that, and minister, not religious or pastoral minister, but the word is a servant, minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have Sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. If you would stop any Christian and ask that person, do you know someone called Epaphroditus? How many do you think will know that name? We know Timothy, because there's first and second Timothy. We know Titus because there is Titus. But Epaphroditus really is not well known. So let's talk about that man, the man Epaphroditus, to profile him, to read in between lines, but also using the data that is given to us in this text. Epaphroditus appears only here in the book of Philippians. We don't know about his background, but we know his name, Epaphroditus. It is a Greek name. The shortened form would be Epaphras that appears in Colossians, but they are not the same. Meaning of the name Epaphroditus is favored by Aphrodite, the Greek goddess, goddess of beauty and love. The Roman counterpart of Aphrodite would be Venus. We know Venus. Uh, they have all these family trees and all kinds of mythology that you could read about. Sounds great. God is of beauty and love, but actually when you read that mythology, she is an adulteress. Not a very pretty account. So from here, what we could learn about this man, Epaphroditus, would be that he's a Greek person from pagan background. 
His parents would not be Jews with Jewish background. Certainly, his mom would not be a Jewess, a Jewish person, because no Jewish person will name their child children after Greek God's name. Timothy, the name, the, it means honoring God. His mom uh, was believer, so we could figure out this man. Probably didn't have a Christian or even Jewish background, so we don't know when he came to Christ. But something somewhere happened, and he was converted. He was a messenger, it says, but the word is a sent one, apostle. But he's not the apostle, but he's a messenger sent by. The Philippian church. What does that tell you? Philippians four, chapter four, eighteen says, Paul says this: I am Paul. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. That's money. That's offering. So, as a messenger. Epaphroditus brought from Philippi to Paul money, probably a large sum of money from that. Everybody assumes that Paul is at this time in Rome, Roman prison. We are not sure, but that's what many people say. So, eight hundred miles. So, what does that tell you? Epaphroditus is highly regarded by the Philippian church. You don't give, let's say, twenty thousand dollars in cash to deliver that money from here to there for someone that you cannot trust. So he is highly regarded by the church. He's an honest man, but also I will assume that he is a very healthy and strong man. Probably it does not say, but a team of men. Travel together. I will not send twenty thousand, well, let's say fifty thousand dollars to a man, a person. Eight hundred miles of trip, a lot of walking, taking horses, mules, and seafaring. No, it was also Apostle Paul's own practice to send a team, travel with a team to deliver money in between churches. So he is highly regarded, and I would say he is a very healthy man too. You will not send someone who is sick or ill to take up an 800-mile journey to deliver money. And that assumption that I am assuming here that he was healthy will play a big part as we go along. He is also a minister, not once again minister in modern sense, but the word is servant. So he is to serve Paul in all that he needed, whatever was necessary that he will do. So what does that tell you? He was a humble man. There really is no earthly ambition. He is a patient and caring man. Not every man could take care of another man. Uh, their personality. Just doesn't doesn't allow that person to serve someone, 
So this man is a humble man, caring man, but also a very patient man. That, that's what we could gather from uh, these texts. That's Epaphroditus. Greek, pagan background, came to Christ, and his mission is to deliver money and serve Paul as long as it was necessary. So to him, and Paul honors him, Epaphroditus, by calling him my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. He honors him in that way. My favorite word out of three, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, my favorite word is my brother. You could be a co-worker with someone as long as you agree with the mission. Fellow soldier, as that mission intensifies, you shoulder to shoulder carry the burdens together with other people. But my brother, that is an, an affectionate word that shows Paul's commitment to this young man, Epaphroditus. So we learn from this text, really, no title is necessary in serving God. Paul does not say he's an elder, he's a deacon, but my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. By that three repetition, he is honoring the man. We talked about using larger catechism, what should the superiors do to the inferiors? That's the old language. But one of the recommendations was countenancing. Commanding and rewarding such as do well. So Paul is heaping upon this young man praise after praise. He's my brother. And it is Paul who's calling him my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, just like that confession, larger catechism, countenancing, commanding, rewarding such as do well, and discountenancing, reproving, and so on. There's a balance. So in the church where so many Christians are not encouraging one another, but highly critical. This is a good reminder that we could encourage someone as you recognize someone's gift, someone's service, that you could say all of these things, encouraging one another. Let me just say a word before we move on on my brother. I thought about this, whether I should talk about this or not. All Christians are brothers and sisters. And Epaphroditus obviously was a Christian. So when Paul says he's my brother, he is stating the obvious fact. Yes, affection, affirmation, and even humbling himself. Paul is humbling himself to come down at the level of Epaphroditus. He's an apostle, highly respected man. But he humbles himself and comes down to Epaphroditus' level and he says, Hey, you are my brother. But what I want to point out simply is this. 
the psychological feeling of inclusion and gratitude from Epaphroditus is really secondary. The one that I just talked about, encouraging one another in this fashion, really to me would be the secondary. There are different traditions. It differs from church to church, from different traditions, from tradition in Christian life. But there is much strength in calling one another by, in this way, not simply by someone's first name, but by brother, Sam, or sister, someone. Why is that? Once again, I am not saying this as a criticism or anything, but simply I just wanted to say that for the sake of people who do not know about this. When I was being converted in that first year in college, what differed that organization, missions group, from any other group that I had encountered was that when I stepped into that sphere of people, they would call me Brother Sam. And for me to hear that was really awkward. I, I had not experienced anything like that. So someone would approach me in that group and say to me, Hi, Brother Sam. <laughs> Brother Sam? That's a strange word. Sister someone. And they will all greet each other by saying, Hallelujah. In my own experience, there are a couple of words that people will not feel comfortable using unless they are a born-again Christian. Use that as a test. A couple of words. You will have a hard time calling someone as brother someone or sister someone unless you are born-again Christian. You cannot really fake that. You can, it's a, a cringe-worthy expression. You will not do it. Unless you have Christ in your heart. Second word is hallelujah. There's something about that word that you cannot really say that. We sang that song today. But to greet someone with hallelujah, that is embarrassing if you're not a born-again Christian. When you call someone, brother someone, sister someone, what we are doing is we are recognizing Christ. You are not simply my buddy. You're not simply my brother in a sense. I know you. You are my buddy. We've been through much. But I call you Brother Sam, recognizing Christ's work on our behalf. So we are all brothers and sisters. So, you know, in appropriate settings, you could, you could try that. Brother or sister. Let's move on. Now, the main body of today's report is that he was sick. He was distressed, verse 26, because they found out you had heard that he was sick. How could they hear that he was sick? Was there a male in that between the Roman Empire? Maybe there was, I don't know, but it makes sense that there was a team of men traveled together. So Epaphroditus stayed back in Rome trying to assist Paul after delivering money, but some traveled back and telling them, you know, Epaphroditus got really sick. And my assumption was that he was not sick, 
Because I, who's going to send someone who's sick in an 800-mile journey? So he got sick somewhere in the middle of that journey. But we all know someone like Epaphroditus. There's a lot going on in their lives, but they will not say anything. Not to hide it, necessarily, but because they are so humble and they love someone, they don't want to burden anyone, so they just keep it quiet. But they serve. Deep humility for Epaphroditus, deep love for Philippian church, home church, uh, by, the, um, by Epaphroditus. So we could summarize that trade as self-denial or self-forgetfulness. That's what we've been learning, Apostle Paul. How could he rejoice in the prison when some other people were trying to cause the distress upon him? Strife and envy, out of strife and envy, they were preaching the gospel, trying to add suffering onto Paul because he forgot about himself. Complete self-forgetfulness. And what, or who was the supreme example who forgot about himself? Christ. So deep humility in self-forgetfulness was exemplified by Paul himself. Obviously, Christ was the example. And what we hear about in verse 27, that for indeed he, that's Epaphroditus, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. So what's the pattern here? If you take a step back and look at the chapter 2 as a whole, it tells us a story of God who became man, who humbled himself and forgot about his privilege, a thing to be grasped. No, and he humbled himself and became one of us, yet without sin. Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. Timothy was doing the same thing. And you see another example, Epaphroditus. He was sick to the point of death, but what was he doing? He was still serving faithfully. That's the pattern that we see in this over and over again. When you think about Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they are all very different people. Temperamentally very different. Paul is fierce and fearless. Timothy, what we could gather is he was a bit timid, but he was a faithful person. He stayed with Paul all the way. And he himself went to the prison. What about Epaphroditus? He was from pagan background. Not even any Jewish background. But he would serve the gospel to the point of his death. Very different in their character, personality, background. I would say culture too. But they had one thing in common. What was that? Christ-likeness. Oh, gospel too. Yes, of course. That's the starting point. But they all showed Christ-likeness in all of them. And as I was thinking about this, I saw the way forward 
for our church too. We have church full of people who come from all kinds of backgrounds. And if you are here in this church, this church is really multi-ethnic and multi-cultural, even racial uh, church. How can we get along? How can we find unity? Because our natural background and fallen human nature will fall back on our comfort zone. Where can we find our unity? And as, as I was thinking about Paul, Timothy, and now Epaphroditus, that's, that's a sample. That's an example that church really should not. Nothing wrong with monoculture church, churches. I am product of that kind of church. Nothing wrong with that. But in the providence of God, our church is not like that. So if we are trying to find a point of unity, unity, I was comforted by the fact that we do not have to find such a center of unity or gravity in ethnicity or even culture or political unity. We could find unity in this church in the gospel of Jesus Christ that will bind us all. That may sound like a minimum common ground. When I say, well, gospel is the common ground, it sounds like that's the minimalistic approach to the church. Gospel, that's it? I mean, we agree, that's why we are here. But when you think about it, that would be the largest common denominator for any church. If church is only staying together because of their ethnic identity or cultural identity, political identity, and you see plenty of them, and the COVID and all of that we went through revealed how much people find their source of strength from all these different points of gravity but the gospel. So when I say gospel is the common ground, you will agree and not, but think about it. All other social, cultural unity will exclude people who do not belong to that group. They will feel very uncomfortable. And I don't have to give you examples of that. But when that gospel is truly our center of gravity, and if that's the common ground, then may look so small, but it will grow. And even Apostle's time, look at these three people. Paul, ex-rabbi, Timothy from Lystra, and this Epaphroditus, Greek goddess named Pagan. But they are all striving together because of the gospel, for the gospel. And Paul will say in this way, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the biggest denominator, actually, common ground, when you think about it. When the gospel really grows in your life, that will enable you to mingle with Jewish background with Gentile background. They, they, do, not, they do not get along. They do not encounter. But what makes them sit under the same roof was the gospel. In where in human history slaves and free worship together? Only in the church of Christ. What about male and female? Obviously, they're not talking about you know, sexual revolution that is happening. But all these social hierarchies. So when, think about that. Gospel sounds small, the minimum, but it is the maximum inclusion. And our church, actually I was very much encouraged by this when I was thinking this through. Even culturally, just because you are from the same country does not mean you get along. When I am here, suddenly I become an Asian. I'm not an Asian. I'm, I will consider myself Korean. There's difference. But think about your own background. In your background, even if it's the same country, same ethnicity, same language, there's all kinds of differences and discriminations depending on where you're from, across the river, above the river, behind the island, in front of island. I mean, you name it. I don't want to go into detail, but some of the shocking, shocking things that I've seen in mission field too, I'm not going to talk about it. But human sinful nature is so strong that nothing will bind these groups of people together. So, our church really does not have to find our unity, I don't think it can, in any other cultural, even religious background. All of us came from different backgrounds. But if you are humble, you can learn from each other. It will strengthen our church. In the Revelations, when it says all nations, tribes, and tongues, they come together and they sing and worship God, what they are telling us, what that passage tells us is that the distinctions will not be erased even in heaven. God created all of us for His glory, brought us together for one purpose. And all of us, if we are humble enough, we have strengths and weaknesses. And we can learn from each other. Final thought on Epaphroditus is that if out of three, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, if there was one person out of three who could, who could be bitter in the situation, it would be Epaphroditus. We don't know what caused that sickness, but he almost died, right? 
Paul is Paul. He's an apostle. Timothy, I mean, he was his disciple, so he knows what is expected out of him. But Epaphroditus, he is just a messenger and a servant. He undertook that journey out of the love, respect, and faithfulness. Once again, you will not, I will not send someone who is terminally ill or sick, prone to sick. So he was healthy enough to embark on that journey, but somewhere he got really sick to the point of death, came close to death. So if there was one person out of that group who could be bitter against God, he, that person could have been Epaphroditus. But I don't think he was, because if he was, he simply would have quit. I did not sign up for this. Or Paul would not heap praises upon praises on this young man. But there's every indication, and even verse 29, receive him. Hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. So we learn again that let us not think about things that happen while we serve God. Do not let that become discouragement to you. But taking an example out of Paul, Christ, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, what God is calling us to do is to persevere in it joyfully, serving in different capacity. Not everyone is like Paul. Not everyone is like Timothy. But for Epaphroditus' work, Paul says that was the work of Christ. Delivering money, serving Paul, assisting Paul at the time was God's will for him at the time. So we shouldn't be discouraged. Whatever in whatever capacity that you are serving Christ, without name, without fame, without recognition, simply knowing that it is the work of Christ, I hope and pray that you will persevere in it in humility, but also in great joy. Let's pray.